the Psalms, which are songs and prayers of the saints of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at Psalm 1, most importantly today, but also make reference to Psalm 2 and Psalm 3. Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Take a few moments to reflect on God's word. Uh, let's look at Psalm chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, they form a... It's possible to read these three psalms as a, a kind of trilogy. Psalm 1, answering the question, how you should live. Psalm 2, answering the question, how a nation should live. And Psalm 3, how do you pray when the first two psalms fail? <laughs> So the first psalm is, okay, how should you be living? And, of course, we see it very clearly. It's two different paths, two different ways to choose. And then Psalm 2 sort of expands that same idea out of Psalm 1 into Psalm 2. Well, how about whole nations, kingdoms, rulers? How should they be living? How should they be thinking? And then in Psalm 3, well, what happens if you fail and the nation fails that you're in? What, what do you do then? How do you live? How do you pray? So that's how we're going to look at these three psalms together. And they probably will serve as some help to you both in the year 2014 because you'll find yourself in a situation where your community, your neighborhood, your city, your, your nation has failed in some way. You'll certainly have found yourself in a place where you can say you have failed in some way. So this will help redirect you. Well, this is how I'm supposed to be living. This is how I can pray when when failure happens. And we want to also just take a look at these so you can think through as you have your prayer card in front of you. Uh, what what things get said here today that you just might want to just make a little note of on your card? God, this is one thing that that I felt like you were saying today that I want somebody to be praying for me in the year 2014. Psalm 1, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, makes it painfully clear that there's two different ways to live, two paths to choose from. The way of the wicked, in the Hebrew that means unstable. The way of the unstable world, there's one way to walk, and then there's the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to death. The way of the righteous leads to blessing. There's two clearly marked out paths the psalmist sees. And, and one way is the way of the wicked. It's unstable. It's chasing after things that lead to destruction. One way is the way of the righteous. It's the way in the Word of God. It's the way with the Lord that eventually leads to blessing. 
I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the rules or regulations about uh, sea turtles, especially when they're being, the, the time that they're hatching sort of late in the summer. That if you live in a coastal area or a coastal property, probably you're aware that if you live there, you either have to turn your outside lights down or you have to turn them away from the beach. And why is that? It's because the turtles who finally dig their way out of the sand and dig their way out of this egg, they dig their way out and they follow the light of the moon. As the moon reflects down on the ocean, they see it and they know, I'm designed to go after that particular light. But what happens if there's competing light coming from the other direction? Turns out the turtles aren't smart enough to figure out which light is real and which light is artificial. And so one, one light is leading to life. One light is leading to pavement. One life is leading to, to the way they were designed. One, one way is leading to destruction. And the psalmist understands this same thing, that, that really humans aren't smart enough to figure out what's the true light and what's the artificial light. We're, we're easily captured by uh, things of the world. So God has laid down his laws. He's helped us see this is the way you should be walking. Please don't get captured by the artificial light of the world because even though it may satisfy for a moment, it will lead to your eventual destruction. And so let's just see the the natural progress, how your progress is made down these two paths. The way that leads to destruction, verse 1, begins by walking and then standing and then sitting. The way that leads to destruction begins by walking in the counsel of. Which means I'm, I'm just thinking about. I'm getting outside counsel. I'm, I'm getting outside information from other unstable sources or unstable people. And, and the way of wickedness just begins with no particular physical movement, it just begins in your mind. You might not even know that I'm doing it. I could be sitting in church and say, well, Paul's actions look right, but, but just at this moment, my mind has been captured by some artificial light, some information, and I just begin to, to take it in my counsel, to take it in my mind, to begin to roll around with it in my mind. And of course, that step leads to the second step, and that is standing in the way of. See, I, see, I'm no longer thinking about it, but I'm in the way of. I'm participating. I'm, I'm taking action. These things that previously I was just thinking about, now I'm actually participating in in some way, shape, or form. And finally, then you're sitting in the seat of. That means now I'm not just thinking and I'm not just acting. I'm actually agreeing that this is the right way. And when I look at the people who follow after God, who think God is real, who believe in Jesus, then then I'm scoffing, I'm mocking, I'm making fun of those people. See, it began just by me thinking something, just having it entertained in my mind. And then I, I take what I've been thinking about and I begin to act on it. And as I act on it, then I sit down and I say, yes, this is the right way. And that way I'm making fun of. That's the way of destruction. This is the path towards 
instability the psalmist is telling us. Now, if you're in middle school or high school, it's just let me just look around, see the few middle school, high school students here. And you're 12, you're 14, you're, you're 16. You've noticed that your parents have an increased interest in who you're hanging out with. Who's on your uh, text? Who's on your Snapchat? Who's on your Facebook? Who's, who's on your phone? Who, who's hanging, who are you hanging around with? Who are you riding the bus home with? Who do you want to go to their house? I, suddenly now when you're 12, 14, or 16, I, yeah, I, I see you around different groups of people. And now I'm very interested in what those people are like. And if you've noticed that, Psalm 1 explains why your parents have such an increased interest in your behavior. See, because when you're, you're 14, you're 12, you're 16, you, you may not realize it, but you're like a, a soft little piece of clay. And most of the, the prints that get on you are, are by imitation. The words that you say, the slang that you use, you use it because other people use it. You don't use what I used back in the 80s, which were some really cool terms. But you use your own terms. What's the right thing to wear? What about the boots that everybody likes to have? What about... It's, it's by imitation. What you say, what you listen to, how you begin to think about the world. It's, it's, you're this soft piece of clay and, and they know you're paying attention to the, the counsel of your friends. And so they're now very interested in what your friends have to say. Because they, they want you and I want you to follow the light that leads to life. And there's an enormous amount of artificial light in your culture and they know it's very attractive and it seems like the right way. And they, with, with myself, we're, we're interested in you knowing the right way. And, and we want you to be around people who are thinking in that way, especially when you're impressionable at that particular age. Notice the consequences of the path. It's verse 4. You're like chaff. Chaff is the, the scaly substance around a, a kernel of wheat. And so what would happen on a windy day when they wanted, wanted to just have the wheat kernel and they didn't want the chaff, they would throw it up in the air, throw it up in the wind. And the wind would catch the chaff and blow it away, but the, the more dense, weightier seed would always fall back down. And so the, the psalmist is saying the, the way the people, the, the people that are on the road to destruction, when you throw them up into the world, when you throw them up into the ideas of the world, they're always just grasping at any old idea and they're just being blown here and there by any concept, by any new book that's on the self-help shelf. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, they're blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. This is the person who combs the aisles year after year looking for that one book on the self-help. They say, okay, now this is it. This is it. And they've just been captured like, like chaff. They think this is it and they hold on to it. But really they're just being blown. They're blown away. 
You might remember the, the message that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he lived in a time where his culture had bought into the ways of the world. And he's the one who's standing at this very central part. He's trying to get his people to come back to the ways of God. And he says this, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I mean, this is just a commentary on Psalm 1. Isaiah 6.16, stand at the crossroads. Look, ask for the ancient path. Look, look where the good way is. Walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. If you're new here and you want to know what the, the main thrust of what happens from the pulpit every Sunday morning, it's, it's Jeremiah 6.16. That's what we do when we come together. We're, we're saying, God, we could easily be blown about. There's all kinds of artificial light that it doesn't matter if you're just in middle school or high school. Everybody could be attracted to it. But we come together to say from this pulpit, please tell us the word of God. Tell us the way God works because we want to walk in that way. And they're the ancient paths. If you ever hear something that's brand new from here, you should be alarmed. Maybe I'm going to say it in some new way, but it's not going to be new. I'm pronouncing news that has happened. I'm not bringing any new information. New information is information that you should immediately say, hey, you know, I just want to hold on to that and put that over here on the side and think about that before I I really own it. We're here looking for the ancient paths and trying to walk in it because we know that's the way that we find rest for our souls. Notice the positive progression. We've looked at the negative progression. Notice the positive progression in verse 2. Before we look at the the positive progression, I want to ask this question. Why is Psalm 1 the first song in the book? I mean, you realize this was a book compiled. It wasn't like the psalmist said, "Eh, this is Psalm 1. Oh, this is Psalm 150. It was just a bunch of songs, a bunch of prayers. And there was an editorial group. And they said, well, here, here's a bunch of them. It's 150 of them. And, and let's put them in a book. And let's choose who, which one's going to be first. Why, why do you think they chose Psalm 1 to, to be the first one? The book of Psalms is divided into five different sec- sections. And it's intended to mirror the five books of the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis to Deuteronomy. So the psalmist said, we want to remember the law as we sing. We want to remember the commands of God as we pray. And so we're dividing it up into five different books, just like the books Genesis to Deuteronomy. And at the very end of Deuteronomy, Moses writes writes this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. What does that sound like? Psalm 1. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commands, His decrees, His laws, and the Lord will bless you. If you're drawn away and you bow down to other gods and worship them, you will be destroyed. But I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. Now choose life. Choose life. The psalmist is saying the same thing. The word of God is life. Please choose life. And that's what I'm saying here in 2014. 
This is, this is life. Please choose life. Please move in this direction. Don't move in towards artificial light that really just leads to your destruction. So Psalm 1 is first because the, the psalmist or the people who put the psalms together understood that, that true blessing in life comes from learning and living by God's law. So notice the progression. First, you delight in the law. See, I'm just delighting and I'm just thinking about it. I'm just got it in my mind. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm memorizing Psalm 1. I'm singing these songs. I've just got it in my mind first. And when I have it in my mind, I'm beginning to delight in it. I know that this is life. I know that this is the truth. There's all kinds of instability in my life. But here's the one thing I can delight in, that the, the word of the Lord stands forever, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm delighting in those truths and that fact. And then I'm I'm meditating on it, the second step. I'm, I'm letting it direct my actions. It, it's, it's filtering down into my heart. It's filtering down into my feet. How I live my life is reflected in my delight in the law of the Lord. And finally, I'm like a tree. I'm rooted and I'm bearing fruit. See, I've, I've sat down with it. I'm saying, yes, this is where I'm planting myself. And, and not only am I agreeing with it, I'm bearing fruit so other people can benefit from my life, from my understanding of who the Lord is and my willingness to go out and to care for others. Now, let me pause right here and make an important, what I think is a side comment, but important nonetheless. It's easy to read Psalm 1 and to make a, have a mistaken conclusion, which might sound like this. So if you walk in God's ways, if you keep his commands, if you have enough faith, then you'll be blessed. You will avoid suffering and sickness. It wouldn't be hard to read Psalm 1 and come away thinking that if you just took Psalm 1 all by itself and said, well, there's two ways to live and one way lives goes to destruction, one way goes to blessing. And so if you go in this way, then what you can expect is, is these, these issues in your life, this suffering, any kind of sickness would just go away because you're living in the right way. And I want you to realize this is the exact same advice Job's counselors gave to Job. See, when Job's counselors came to Job, they saw Job suffering. And they say, well, I mean, if you're really following after God, then you wouldn't be experiencing this, Job. So let's try to dig down on the things that you need to take care of in your life. And when you take care of those things, then you're automatically going to get God's blessing. Job, if your, prob- your problems must be a result of sin, they must be a result of some unfaithfulness. If you could just then you would be blessed. You've probably heard that before. And here's God's response to their teaching. I'm angry with you. These three friends who have not spoken what's right. Tell them to go make sacrifices. Tell them to ask Job to pray for them so that I will not deal with them according to their foolishness. See, what the, what the psalm is saying is that the blessed person is the one whose heart is fixed like a tree 
beside the living water, which is the word of God. So that no matter the conditions, you don't move. That's the blessed life. It's the person who's like a tree that even when all all hell breaks loose in your life, you're still standing right at that spot. And you're standing on that spot certain that God is going to work in ways that you may see and you may not see. And you're bearing fruit in the midst of your difficulty because you're planted like a tree on the Word of God. That's the blessed life. And you know that's the best blessed life from a number of different ways. But just listen to, to what Paul says in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Meaning all of those things are going to come into your life. As a Christian, all of those things are going to attack you. And the question is, when you're under attack, are you going to be like a tree planted, firmly fixed on the Word of God? Or are you at that moment going to turn into chaff? No, in all these circumstances, we're going to be more than conquerors. When all these things come at us, we're we're not just going to conquer. We're going to be more than conquerors. We're going to be like this tree that's fixed because I'm convinced. See, it's in my mind. I am convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, the present, the future, any power, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said, amen. Yes. Do you see? That's the blessed life. That's the right way to go. But even in Christian circles, there's all kinds of artificial light over here. And it just seems like the way to go, but it leads to death and destruction. And the psalmist wants to make it clear that the blessed life is the one who's got its roots around the word of God. And no matter the conditions will stay fixed on him. So we're going to pray here today and for the next 365 days about whatever you write on your card. So when you think about Psalm 1, what what is you, you've heard today that's really a word from the Lord to you? About the choices that you're making, about the path that you're walking down, about some repentance or reversals that you may need to take. You might want to jot those down. Psalm 2. If Psalm 1 provides direction for the individual, Psalm 2 provides direction for a nation. And here's the first, look at the first three verses and you can see the greatest barriers to blessings for a nation. Look at these. Why do the nations rage in vain and the people's plot? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst our bonds apart and cast away our cords. So so the greatest barriers to blessing for a nation, let me just mention the three that are here, they plot in vain. The word plot is the same word that's used in Psalm 1 for meditate. 
And the word vain, it means empty. So the first direction, the first step for a nation that can find itself in trouble is when they meditate on empty things. I don't know if you are familiar with this term, empty calories. You ever heard of this, empty calories? Everybody's a Weight Watchers person or you know this. It's sugar or fat or all the other stuff you like. Um, they're empty. I mean, they taste awesome, right? You're like, this is awesome. It's not good for me, but it tastes awesome. And what do they, what do they, what do they say? It's just empty calories. In other words, you're getting a lot of calories and very little or no nutrition. And, and what, what the psalmist is saying here is when you have a nation who consumes empty calories and thinks this is going to be the way of life, then you have a nation that's going down the wrong path. Now, I could list a hundred examples, but you can think for yourself, can you not? A nation that consumes empty calories and then says, this is life. That's the first step, you know, you're in a nation that's got troubles. They're moving along the wrong direction. Secondly, they, they take counsel together. The rulers take counsel together, meaning there's no outside counsel. We're just getting all the smart people in the room, and they just get to decide what's right and what's wrong. We're not interested in outside counsel. The rulers will get together. George Washington in his farewell address, 1796. Let us with caution indulge the the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education, reason, and experience, forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Now, you compare that, 1796, to one senator's perspective on the confirmation of a judge, 2005. The judge that was up for confirmation was a well-known Christian. This is what the senator said. In this judge's case, his Christian beliefs are so well-known, so deeply held, that it is very hard to believe, very hard to believe, the incredibly strong ideology of this nominee will not impact, impact how he rules if confirmed. Do you hear what he's saying? We don't want someone who has any outside influence because we know that outside influence, will bring, he will bring it in. So we can't have somebody who has an outside influence. We just have to understand the smartest people in the room, the ruling class, we get to decide, and we don't want outside influence. When you get into a country that's that way, coupled with a country that consumes empty calories and says that's life, then you have a country that's going in the wrong direction. Number three, they burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. A nation is in trouble when it doesn't want to live underneath outside authority. A nation gets into trouble when they reject any restrictions on their behavior. 
Think of chapter 5 in Jeremiah. Again, he's such a good model for this problem because he's the man who stands and tries to point these out to his people. And in chapter 5, it says this, The Lord said to Jeremiah, well, Jeremiah Jeremiah was distressed about what the Lord was going to do to the people. And he says, well, okay, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. This is chapter 5. See if you can find just one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, and I'll forgive the whole city. Well, I didn't find any, Jeremiah says. So I thought, well, these are the poor people. These are the foolish. They don't know the way of the Lord. I'll go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. We just don't want to live underneath authority. I don't want some outside source regulating my particular behavior. And let me say this as I said it to the middle school and high school students. Let me say it to the college students. You live in a time of tremendous moral upheaval, much more so than three years ago when I was in college. Maybe that was 30 years ago when I was in college. And there's a tremendous, there's there's a powerful gravitational pull on your thinking to base your behavior and your lifestyle simply on the counsel of your friends or a few loud voices. And I'm pleading with you to find your foundation from outside yourself and even outside your culture. You notice that the tree, the tree in Psalm 1, it's planted and fed by what? An outside source a river that's flowing beside it. It's not nourishing itself. It's not nourishing another tree. All the trees didn't get together and say, well, this is how you really bear fruit. No. The trees got together and say, if you want to live, you've got to have this outside source running underneath your life. And you have to attach yourself to that outside source. And so I'm pleading with you not to allow just a few small voices or even your best friends, even your smartest friends to say, hey, this is the way it is now. That's the problem Jeremiah found in his time. Proverbs 14, 12, one you want to commit to memory. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So much more could be said about Psalm 2. Let me move to Psalm 3. What happens when you find yourself saying, I went down the wrong path. I knew it was the wrong path. I got warnings that it was the wrong path. And I'm heading for or maybe even experiencing destruction. And you say, I'm in a country, I'm in a city, I'm in a community. They're heading down the wrong path. What help is there for me? That's the question Psalm 3 answers. And that was really the text of my whole sermon, which I'm not going to deliver here right now. But you get the sense of it just looking quickly in in verse 1 and 2. David, who's writing, many, many are my foes. They're, They're coming from every side. 
I've been a murderer. I've been an adulterer. I've been a liar. And now it's coming back to haunt me that the king who's coming in behind me, somebody who's not the rightful king, he's swayed the people and the whole nation is against me. I I feel like I'm being torn apart inside out from my own sin and then from the sin of other people. And so how do you find yourself praying when you're in that particular time? And some of you will find yourself there in 2014, verse 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, that's the key. See, God always gets the last word. Your smart friend doesn't get the last word. Your professor doesn't get the last word in your life. Your parents don't get the last word. The country, the president doesn't get the last word. God gets the last word. And so you say, Lord, I've I've so messed up or I'm in a situation that is so messed up. I don't see any way out. It just seems like many are against me. You can say, but God, I know that many are against God, but God can bring life out of death. And so you might find yourself in this particular point in 2014 and you might say, I've messed it up or I'm in a place that's messed up. And you can say, but God, with confidence. No matter the circumstances, but God. God's word alone, Christ says, none of it will pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, but this will never pass away. So that's how you pray. That's how you're supposed to live. It's how you're supposed to influence your culture. But you find yourself saying, I I didn't do it. I can't do it. My culture's not doing it. This is how you pray. You say, I know I feel surrounded internally and externally, but I know God's bigger than those things. And he can lift my head. He can be my glory. He can restore my soul.